Hello again, and a warm welcome to this special series of the Hive podcast, featuring the interviews from my new book, Business Unusual, Values, Uncertainty, and the Psychology of Brand Resilience. Join me, Natalie Nahai, and some very special guests as we explore the ideas transforming the world of business, brands, and beyond. For more information and resources on today's episode, please visit natalinahai.com forward slash the Hive podcast. And for more information around the book, please visit businessunusualthebook.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. In today's conversation, I speak with Cesar Cristoforidis, the Senior Vice President of Global Partnerships and Strategy at Amplify, previously known as Social Bakers, where he spearheads the partner growth strategy and manages strategic relationships with Facebook, Google, Twitter, TikTok, and LinkedIn. With a passion for new technologies and helping humanity to cultivate a healthy mix of human tech solutions to improve our everyday lives, Cesar's work also focuses on how we might build strong, sustainable, and helpful communities. Having led a team of digital consultants as sales director for UK and EMEA for Experian Hitwise, one of the world's leading online market intelligence solutions. Cesar's 15 years of experience in digital and software solutions spans everything from social media, live shopping, e-commerce, and influencer marketing, to affiliate marketing, PPC, display, messaging, and email. Cesar, it is a real pleasure speaking with you today. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. You're in the UK in lockdown and I'm in Barcelona under pretty strict restrictions. This conversation is going to go out in September of this year. So from your perspective, what do you think is happening in the global human psyche right now? And what might your prediction be for where we'll be in September? Yes. Oh boy. I mean, I can really only use a bit of self-reflection and... Uh, I guess, you know, being part of a of a global company, you know, get get a lot of insight into, you know, how the rest of, of the folks are feeling in, in different territories. So I'll start with, you know, how, you know, my, my thoughts on on how the psyche could be right now, probably more from a business perspective. I, I, I feel right now obviously there's a there's a there's an enormous amount of frustration. Um, and that's been caused by several factors, you know, some by economical factors, obviously people losing their jobs or being put on, on long furloughs. There's still mm. this um, cap of um, uncertainty. And I just feel that things can't happen fast enough. It feels like now everybody is kind of waiting in line to get a vaccine and, and try and, and switch their lives around. Um, but even that seems to be you know, quite slow. I think, you know, mm. the, the only leaders right now are Israel now, right? They're the ones that have really shone in terms of, of getting this out. And, and it, it is bringing, I guess, some, you know, prosperity and some confidence into the markets. You know, from, from a business perspective, I think that, you know, the companies that traditionally haven't invested big in digital have been forced to last year. Yeah, yeah. And what it's done is actually quite phenomenal. If you look at the amount of IPOs due 
in 2021, it's staggering. So we're going to see a lot of innovation. And with that, I think it also gives people a lot of confidence that, you know, there will be new opportunities for them. So this level of uncertainty that, you know, they, they're not able to go back into the workplace is suddenly, you know, opening new doors for them. So I think 2021 it will will open up phenomenal amount of new opportunities. Mm. Uh, people will be able to re- retrain, but it, it's a mixed bag, you know, personally for for us, you know, being part of a tech company, it wasn't a particularly bad year, yeah. 2020 for us. I mean, we we even sold the company, which is testament <laughs> of, of how, how much the data, you know, was valued. Um, so maybe a little bit biased from, from my side because it, it wasn't a bad year at all. I mean, it, we, we saw a surge of, uh, of larger investments done by our clients in this space. But that is that wasn't the case in in all verticals. So we're quite lucky in that respect. Mm. And actually, the the digital side, anyone who was able to work virtually or who was working with data probably had quite a boost in terms of what they were able to accomplish this year and the transition online and people becoming much more fluent in technologies that maybe they'd previously been resisting. Can you describe a bit for those of us who don't know what your company is and what you do? Yes, well, social bakers right now in in, in this state, <laughs> it's a social marketing suite. And, and what it allows... Um, companies to do is to um, to use our technology to plan to deploy to measure and um, and now with uh, with the with the recent acquisition it allows you to continue to care for, for for those for those customers so it predominantly works um, with the strongest social media networks like mm. facebook twitter um, youtube and so forth. It's really there to um, to empower brands to be smarter, small things, but but actually quite big. When you, when you think about you know our spaces, you know being able to understand when your audiences are online, so it mm. helps you to publish at the right time. It allows you to really listen to what they're saying, so you can change all of your content so it can be relevant. Being in an attention economy, it's extremely expensive. For, for brands to be communicating at the wrong time and with the wrong message because mm. these networks will penalise you. They will actually get you to pay more when um, your content is not resonating with, with the audiences. So it, it really is designed to make brands smarter. And, and now we are, Social Vegas is moving into another phase, which is, is the care element because, mm. as you know, this, this industry is now moving more into a customer experience orientated mm. um, emphasis and, and that's the way that we have to move. I think we want to keep any level of loyalty, you now have to provide a, an exceptional experience in that journey to those clients. And it's interesting what you're saying about the need for care for an experience to be something which is a bit more enriching. So I think one of the things that we've seen, especially with all the crises and tumult, when you look at social channels and all of the different themes and topics and debates that are being had, corporate reputation is becoming increasingly important. Is this something that you've also seen in your work at Social Bakers in terms of what you're picking up? 
Well, us, we have internalized that and we, we have gone through great lengths to be more diverse, to be more inclusive mm. and to, to bring on board more transparency than ever. And in terms of, you know, what our clients are telling us is that um, they very much want that to be portrayed in the public eye. Yeah. And, and then for us, obviously, it, it's important to to empower them to make sure that you know all the communication that they're sending out to the general public to the consumer is being perceived in that way mm. um so what's interesting is is a recent interview with bill gates um done by zani mitten both from from the economist i mean you know her first question you know he came out with it and he said you know the the, the main challenge now is for corporations to try and look good versus the actual making an impact. So it's very easy to try and look good, but um, the consumers are not stupid. You know, they'll they'll give you um, their honest opinion whether it's actually making an impact or not. Mm. And I guess that whole thing with, you know, digital communication or marketing or advertising of any kind, it really now plays such a vital role in conveying not just the values of a business and managing brand perception, but also communicating the reality of what the brand is doing. So when you see on the one hand people using the right words, but they're falling prey to woke washing and virtue signaling, that lands really badly compared to those who are able to take a stand on any number of issues um, and do it with integrity and do it with an action plan and with, with proof. What are some of the greatest pitfalls, do you feel, that companies need to avoid when they're communicating what they're doing across social channels? Yes, I mean we have seen some some unfortunate examples of large global corporations just being part of um, this this way without giving it any real thought. Yeah, yeah. And then what's happened is that you know they're just doing it for the sake of it with mm. with no real purpose or no real structure behind it, and the consumers catch wind of it and they they hijack it and they you know they persecute a brand and say look you're just saying this for the hell of it this is just mm. another way for you to profiteer so i think the pitfalls are don't just do it because you have to do it with a meaningful message almost like going back to the core of why the business started in its infancy mm. and this is why we're seeing a lot of the ceos becoming more activists it's really becoming their job top down to deliver this message and the most successful messages around sustainability or corporate responsibility have been the ones that have been driven from the CEOs. Mm-hmm. Yeah and really being kind of the pioneers in their own field about causes that they care about and you can you can tell I think I know a lot of people feel quite cynical and for good reason but I think you can tell when someone is genuinely passionate about a specific action or cause that they want to take on. And actually, Social Bakers, you guys recently released a fascinating index of sustainability on social media, which is a study that focuses on analysing the importance of communicating about sustainability across social channels and how this can improve brand perception and corporate reputation. What are some of the key trends that you observed in this study that you guys conducted? Well, the, the trends are that the uh, the number of communications are on the increase across mm-hmm. the board. So it's it's a good indicator that people are, are really um, taking it in their stride and making it very much part of not just the corporate communications, but where you have a global holding with multiple brands, 
it has now become the brand's brief, I guess, to also incorporate some of what the whole company is doing towards mm. something that's plausible, a real cause. It's coming away from just corporate comms. It's now also becoming the job of the brands because at the end of the day, they have the power to reach. Whereas if you go on a corporate page of, of a company, they only have a small followership. So you do have to recruit the real brands, the ones that the consumers engage with on a day-to-day to be those ambassadors of your work that you're doing with corporate governance. Mm. And are there any in particular that you think of as really exciting success stories? There's a few verticals I want to point out. So fashion, I believe, uh, has been pioneering in this simply because if they don't, they'll be they'll be dead, basically, yeah. um, because of you know how they need they need to change people's minds. And obviously, Patagonia has been around for ages. Mm. Is one that really comes to mind. And another one which I which I just loved is the Lacoste Endangered Species uh, campaign. I mean, it's it's brilliant because they will only print that number of polar shirts that correspond to the to the remaining number of that species. It makes the yeah, it makes the consumer very inquisitive. It makes them you know really understand and 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 to go and search for well, what is that number? You know, how many of these polar shirts will be available? But it's not just about that. Obviously, the sales then go and, and they, they are redeployed into a good cause to keep those species mm. alive. In Drinks Company, we've seen InBev do some amazing campaigns globally and, and, and locally. So that's another large manufacturer that worthy mentioned. Coca-Cola's also suffered, I guess, quite a lot of uh, backlash, you know, contamination of water. So they've done a, a phenomenal job to turn that around um, in their recent campaigns. And their fight, you know, to to become part of this new green economy. Mm. There's big food manufacturers like Grupo Bimbo, the largest bakery on the planet. Um, the great thing about that company is they are not just focusing on on packaging. They're also investing in a whole new fleet of electric delivery uh, automotives, complete green energy uh, within the next in the next five years. So I think that there's. There's a lot of them around the world, but I think those are the ones that, you know, I've I've carefully followed. And I think when you see some of the really massive companies like Grupo Bimbo, like Coca-Cola, take stock and say, actually, no, we are going to choose to do something. It adds to the momentum. It creates additional pressure uh, and movement to encourage other players, whether that's people in politics or other heads of other industries to actually make similar changes. But I want to ask a little bit more about the fascinating report that you guys did, because you talk about these four main categories, the four C's, which explore care, conscience, campaigns and charity. Can you tell us about the four dimensions that these relate to and what they mean? Yeah, of course. I mean, first of all, I want to Give credit to Claire Devonport. She she very much inspired me to create this uh, this index. Um, she's obviously CEO of uh, Northern the High Street, and she she presented in an event a couple of years ago, and she talked about the emerging consumer and how they're going to stand for four C's. So I didn't pluck these out of the <laughs> air. They're, they're they're very they're very much a brainchild of. Claire Devonport and and yes, yeah, so what we've what we've designed is um, four dimensions, and like you say, they are really to to measure when a brand is communicating in under a specific dimension. So, if we start off 
with care and what care covers. Um, this is very much looking at communication where a company is consciously making investments mm. on, you know, reducing the environmental impact, for example, all the, all the types of investments that they're making around that. Typical things like renewable energy, for instance. When a brand is being conscious, we, we see that the, uh, the type of communication is very much geared towards, you know, healthy eating, well-being, mm. driving innovation, social justice and responsible consumption. So conscious is it's a behaviour that you see quite a lot with, with FMCG food companies. Charitable is quite self-explanatory and this is something that a lot of brands can partake in but it's um, is looking at you know what corporations do in terms of donations to worthy causes contribution to scholarships grants and an ethical innovation and then lastly but definitely not not least is when a brand is seen as a real campaigner mm. and i think this is going to probably be the the most interesting because it looks at how um, a company is building you know sustainability around sexual diversity and also the the eradication of corruption mm. which unfortunately still very much exists in the world ethical marketing um, and also promoting you know what a great place it is it is to work in because you know of what they stand for so the real sense of transparency around brands that are real campaigners. Mm. So those are the kind of the four dimensions. And, you know, we've, we've built this, this system, an algorithm, which detects automatically the type of posts um, on, on social media and then compartmentalizes them under each of these dimensions so that we can start measuring them on the index. That's so interesting. Do you find that there are certain dimensions that show up more in specific industries so I'm thinking maybe if we're thinking about the environment that that would come up in particular in FMCG for instance or do you find that you tend to get a mix of all four categories in whatever industry you're looking at? Yeah what we have seen is that on the on the Cartesian diagram when a brand has set out what they want to communicate it's very very different to what the consumer perceives what we see is that the perception definitely as you, as you pointed out very much goes back into care and consciousness so that's where we see a lot of the communication now kind of congregating on the index and you know if you ask me what verticals i mean it's it's a mixed bag. We see a lot of financial institutions there, like HSBC, Coca-Cola, Santander, you know, Kellogg's. Those are the companies that you would typically see gravitate towards being more conscious and a lot more caring in the eyes of the consumer. What is quite interesting is, is actually where those posts started, which were actually on, on the other almost entirely different objective but this is why the index is, is very much you know, in its place to help brands understand what they've communicated has actually been perceived the way it's designed to or if mm. the consumers have understood them differently, which, which is happening in many cases. Mm. I guess that kind of difference between what you believe that you're communicating and how it's perceived and received by the consumer or by the general public, that's, that's the key thing. Do you think that there's a specific 
set of mistakes that people make in thinking, well, okay, it's like the curse of knowledge because you have more knowledge and context. You imagine everyone else does too. Do you think there are certain assumptions or mistakes that people make when they're, I don't know, the CMO of a big brand and they think, well, why aren't people getting this? Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> it, 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 it's a number of factors. Sometimes it could be, you know, very practical factors is that, you know, they, they've chosen the wrong brand to to carry out a message or they've mm. they've solely relied on the community under their corporate profile to carry a message that was never going to touch the audience where they were looking for for those receptors, you know. So I think it boils down to not well thought out execution and, and just going back to the basics of marketing is just making mm-hmm. sure that you're 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 targeting the right audience with the right message. Um, um yeah. Which is actually quite good because it's easy to fix, <laughs> right? <laughs> mm. From the reports, what are some of the best practices brands can use to better communicate sustainability initiatives that they're engaged in on, on social media? Yeah, so best practices is obviously not to bombard, not to only use LinkedIn. There's only a, a limited uh, number of uh, of your real consumers under that community. So it's great to see lots of rigor on, on your LinkedIn newsfeed. But, you know, those aren't really the people that you need to convince. They're ordinary day-to-day are not going to be in LinkedIn. So my, my, my biggest advice is that, you know, the CEO has to be an activist together with, you know, the corporate communications team. You know, it has to be very much led from the top down. And if you are a company that do have, you know, business to consumer business model is, is to, to use the brands to, to carry those messages. And it's going to be important. It's not just to help the CEO, you know, deliver message about all, all this great investment that you know they're making in transforming processes to be more more greener but it's actually the, the consumer what we're seeing is that the centennials millennials gen z whatever you want to call them they would much rather trade an experience for material gain and this is what we're seeing so it doesn't just have to be a good thing that you're doing for the company it needs to be become the backbone of, of why it is that people should use your services or want to buy products from you. So I think best practice is that uh, climate change is, is, is staring at us in the face mm. and you will see a lot of activists and you will see a lot of, uh, a lot of campaigns now with, with, uh, with this at its core of, of, its, um, of its communication strategy. Yeah. It's interesting because one of the one of the fascinating ideas I recently encountered when interviewing Alex Edmonds, who is professor of finance at London Business School, was that for a brand to have a positive impact, it doesn't have to be all things to all people. Because it's very easy when you think about all of the different problems we face that we have to take a stand on absolutely everything. Uh, and he was saying, so for instance, if I think of a brand that I particularly like, like Brewdog, which is a beer brand, if it's within your power to make your production lines and your packaging methods carbon negative, which for them it happened that it was, uh, and they recently achieved this, then it's a great area to focus one's attention on. But if that particular strategy isn't within your power, if you can't make that kind of change, then Alex suggested focusing on what's in our hand to give. So what can I actually do that is coherent with my values that I can enact change in. So whether that's 
reducing food waste or whether that's like Grupo Bimbo creating a fleet of electric-only cars and by doing that, spreading the adoption of those sorts of vehicles, helping to support the supply chains that create them, then that can be a really solid contributing factor towards making the entire system, whatever industry you're in, more sustainable. So what, what advice might you give to businesses wishing to do good? <laughs> well, he, the professor put it, uh, put it quite well. I mean, if you're in automotive, when are you going to stop using steel? <laughs> and it yeah. becomes difficult. But obviously, you know, how, does, how are automotive becoming more um, carbon neutral, right? This is mm-hmm. the buzzword floating around now, around, you know, this green premium. I would suggest, you know, look for other avenues. On the index, we look at how you can, you know, contribute to charitable causes, how you can still change your organisation to be more inclusive, Mm. to offset some of the things that are beyond your control because there just wouldn't be any other way to produce this service. You know, it's similar to what the airline's going to be challenged with. I mean, when are you going to change a, a jet engine to not to consume any any fossil fuels but in the meantime you know they can turn their their focus on being more inclusive i think that it's all not lost i mean if 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 your industry is um i guess is propped up by the use of raw materials i think you you can still make a, an impact and a change by you know looking at ways to be charitable and also being a, a great campaigner of um you know creating an amazing place to work in mm-hmm. yeah i think that's the thing that all of the different steps that we take to move into a positive direction it, it adds up and so in recent years i think these sort of trends have been accelerated with with the pandemic but in recent years there's been a lot more interest in and debate around the balance between purpose and profit do you also see this trend reflected in the social and marketing data you're working with at social bakers Oh, it's a difficult one to think about. I mean, <laughs> g- g- give me an idea. Sure. So, so some of the books I've been reading around um, the... Okay, so sort of, we're going slightly off the beaten track here, but I've been reading some interesting books on ritual and on the secularisation of society and how in the absence of external structures like religion or specific practices... Uh, which previously would have given society certain kinds of meanings and ways to bond together and finding purpose. We've kind of lost a lot of that, which I think is not necessarily a bad thing, but it means that we're seeking that sense of purpose and deeper meaning elsewhere. And I think when we look at some of the data around consumer behaviours, especially in younger folk, as you mentioned earlier with like centennials, millennials, Gen Z, etc., that a lot of um, younger cohorts in particular one of the reasons they're looking for experiences rather than material gains is because they want to feel the sense of, and I include myself within this, we want to feel the sense of aliveness, of meaning, of connectedness that maybe has been a bit thin on the ground in our generations. And so when people talk about balancing purpose and profit, I think not only is it about giving customers experiences that feel meaningful, that feel enriching, that are aligned with their values, there's also some interesting stuff around the kinds of businesses and companies that people want to work for. So yeah. if I come and work for Grupo Bimbo and I feel like I'm playing an exciting role in a company that's going to change the way in which supply chains work, for instance, or with the green vehicles, that gives an extra reason to be excited about working that gives an extra layer of purpose. So it's kind of through that lens that I'm that I'm asking the question. We, we have done a, a couple of um, webinar sessions on it. You know, it, it's helping all of these 
brands um, go back to you know the the, the very beginning of, of why it was created and and the values and so forth. But we have mm. seen that the trends move towards well-being. So it's interesting that you you talk about spirituality and, and connection and, and what these pockets of young consumers are looking for. What we have seen is there's been a a huge surge in in well-being, and that's primarily owed to the fact that people have been locked down and you know a lot of us have had to turn to either an online coach or someone to give give <laughs> us a bit of sanity so i would say that in the future companies will probably want to offer well-being very much as a, as a package of your employment benefits mm. which is something that not everybody has included and you know by that you know it could be it could be yoga it could be exercise it could be anything but i think that we we're going to see there's a lot and and especially around the workplace i think that we're going to see even um office space transform into something which has a lot more well-being associated around it i think that we're going to incorporate you know exercise more rigorously into <laughs> into work work ethics and i think all of these things do make you feel like do make you feel more connected with each other um this is the trend we're seeing because obviously we can we can we can listen and we can look at some of the um the biggest trending conversations um by these particular audiences around the world mm. kind of curious to see if there are any smaller conversations that are perhaps unexpected that don't get mentioned because obviously there's the pandemic and climate change to talk about any other smaller conversations that you think are emerging themes that will be important with the future of work because obviously you know if i think about the ways in which we might rebuild and design how we work whether that's some kind of hybrid chimera type beast <laughs> like a virtual yeah. physical hybrid i have ideas about that everyone has sort of um, projections that they might like to see come to fruition and concerns about what that might look like are there any small conversations that you're seeing at the sidelines that give you a sense of what people's concerns or hopes are around what the future of work could be i think it's around balance um aside from Aside from exercise and keeping healthy, mm. it's uh, the the consumption trends of what to eat and, and what to start preparing for yourself. I think it's always been a a topic, a hot topic. But what what we've seen is that you know people are seeking to be more practical mm. in 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 what they prepare now that they they can't just run down and and grab a sandwich from Pret <laughs> and be back at their desk within five minutes. That's that's no longer a reality. That really isn't. So mm. what we're seeing is that um, people are searching for quick and healthy recipes. And I think this is a huge opportunity, especially you know, in food manufacturing, where recipes are going to be even more important. And, and some of the technology that, that we're looking at now, uh, which might be interesting to you, Natalie, is um, live commerce. So mm. it's something that is really trending at the moment in Asia and um, you will see it really just popping a lot in Europe and in North America um, and the opportunity there is is that you can now shop live from from an influencer whereas before 
and influencers kind of skirted around the subject of selling. But now I think, you know, you, you will be able to log on to, let's say, I, I like eat, eating the Checo pasta. They could, <laughs> they could have a chef cooking, but you will be able to buy those ingredients in real time if you, if you like what you see. Um, the trend now in live shopping is actually, believe it or not, in luxury and, and beauty market, where a lot of the, the brands like L'Oreal are getting an influencer to do a makeup session. And in real time, you can use the hashtag to be delivered all of those goods that they're using. That's bonkers. During, during that <laughs> makeup session. But it's going that way. It's live. It's um, very much live commerce. There's there's an amazing company that we're looking at at the moment. It's called Going Store. It's also an opportunity to redeploy a, a lot of your workforce that used to work behind the counter in a shop and you redeploy them on, on either a one-to-one basis via video or, or one-to-many, which is the live commerce model, which I was talking to you about. But it's um, it's definitely up and, you know, the, the numbers that I've seen in terms of sales via this technology is staggering. So um, you can see why, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is in a hurry to to set up the infrastructure for WhatsApp and and Instagram so that people can can do a lot more live shopping. The real pioneers in this are the Chinese, you know, where they've been doing this probably a year or two ago uh, on WeChat. So I think if anybody does want to look at what's coming up for us next, you only just need to look in, in one direction and, and you can see what um, what we will be copying from, from the Chinese. That's super intriguing. It's funny, isn't it? Because often we don't look beyond our own western shores and actually there's such exciting stuff happening if we just look a little yeah. bit further so i'm going to uh, kind of take this conversation now into a slightly different direction um looking at how we can create more interesting virtual experiences and events because social bakers has been running fantastic conferences for a good while now and i've had the pleasure of enjoying these firsthand and in 2020 you took Social Bakers Engage online, which created a fantastic, compelling virtual experience. I thought it was really well executed. And from a virtual events perspective, what do you feel are some of the most important things that made it successful? And what are some of the things that you think we need to avoid to make sure that virtual experiences don't suck? (laughs) Well, I I think timing always uh, comes into play. I mean, our... um engage uh, was very much you know towards the the back end of the year which gave gave us a, a lot of time to to collect information and to make some predictions so mm. i would say that predicting the future is always a hot topic <laughs> bringing in things around you know customer experience really helped us because we know that this is where the biggest investments are going to take place now from from a cmo survey that um, e-marketeer did so i think it's just picking all the things that were probably being discussed already to be executed the following year, but just bringing them forward into, you know, a discussion in this forum where we can all agree and listen to, you know, people's expectations and, and people's thoughts of, of, of how they need to plan for 2021. So I, I think it's also keeping it very real and and making sure that people understand that we're we're all still very much on a learning curve and that there are some of us that have had the 
the the luxury to make some mistakes because you do have to have a certain amount of resources to make mistakes and, and go back to the drawing board and execute them properly. So we're lucky that we have clients that have the resources to make those mistakes and come back and tell us, you know, this is what to avoid. You know, the, the backbone of, of Engage is, is really to empower people, you know, to share best practices and, and to create a community because I think that's the most important thing is just to, just to be helpful to one another, you know, despite, you know, what industry you're in or whether you're a competitor or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially now sharing that knowledge is, is such an important thing to be able to do. And it's a generous act, I think, which we're definitely in need of. Looking ahead, and this is again another <laughs> going back yeah. into the big questions before we close. If you personally had to choose one thing that you felt was absolutely key to the long term success and resilience of a business, what would that thing be? Oh, it's experience without a shadow of a doubt. Um, we, we've just seen it. Um, we've we've lived through it personally through you know our own cycle our own customer life cycle but i think now more than ever you just need to invest in in the best experience for your clients for your customers because i think that's where the loyalty stands i think people will be prepared to pay a premium hmm. whether that's a green premium because things that uh, that are good for this earth will be a little bit more expensive at first before they become cheaper. Mm. But also in terms of the experience that you give somebody when you have that first touch point on them, Mm. you know, to have a a healthy balance between artificial intelligence and I'm I'm referring from from our perspective between, you know, how much you you let a bot do versus a human. I think Mm. the key is in a powerful listening engine that gives you those right signals of of when it is time for a human to take over the conversation Mm -hmm. and that all adds up to having a great experience that's kind of my my big prediction of where you know I think people will be in investing a lot of their time in Mm -hmm. in order to to grow but also to preserve some of the loyalty that they've built over the years Mm. yeah I think you're right and I think that kind of quality of experience is something that Obviously, we can all pay attention to regardless of whether we're in products or services or a mix of both. So before we close out, the final two questions I want to ask you. Yeah. Kind of, I guess, more on a personal note, but it also connects in with the work that you do with data and with social communication and corporate reputation and brands. If I asked you what kind of world do you want to build, where might you begin to answer that? Oh, (laughs) yes. I want to build a world that's connected again, but not talking about being able to message somebody on Messenger, but I think connected in terms of very much having a regard of their place in the world and, you know, their social background or, you know, the challenges that that they have and be respectful of those things. I think... Um, a world that comes away from, you know, material gain and is a, is a true believer of investing, you know, not to be the, the best in the world, to becoming the best for the world. So I, I mm. think that that is, would be my best ethos uh, of building, you know, a new world, especially with, the, with technology. I love that answer. And what one thing would you suggest that we can do maybe to help us move in that direction? A good starting block is to 
maybe stop and listen a lot more. Mm. I think that we have been, you know, um, I guess split not just between two screens anymore, but in many cases it's four or five. Mm. And I think it's <laughs> it's probably time to stop and just take account of, uh, of the things that are really, really close to you because they end up being the most important to you at the end. Mm. I, I would maybe just slow down a little bit and maybe just intake more of what's in front of you and not, you know, intake 10, 20% of 10 things in front of you. Thank you for listening to The Hive Podcast with me, Natalie Nahai. To find out more about today's guest and the themes we explored, please visit the show notes page at natalinahai.com forward slash The Hive Podcast. If you've enjoyed the series, please do share it with your friends and give it a rating or review. And for more insights and insider tips, you can join my newsletter as well. My thanks to Caro C for producing. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to sharing more with you in the next episode.